These stories are not an attempt to prove the existence of the paranormal in any way. They are solely based on eyewitness encounters. It's up to you to decide what you believe. This first story takes place in Kokomo, Indiana, between 1980 and 1997. The Brock family had moved into their new house, and they were ready for a fresh start in a new neighborhood. This devout Baptist family adored their father, Roger. They had moved back to Kokomo due to Roger believing that God had called upon him to help out the church in the area. Roger soon begins to build bookcases for his seminary books from college, but the bookcases were too tall for the house. Roger began to chip away at the ceiling and was eventually able to get the bookcases to fit correctly. He was then able to get his seminaries into the bookcases. The next day, Roger's daughter, Lana, was at home alone and she had decided to do the dishes. Lana began to hear a strange noise coming from the living room and she decided to investigate. When she entered the living room, she saw that one of her father's books was hanging about halfway off the shelf and was about to fall. She pushed the book back into the case and turned around to walk back into the kitchen, but the book flew off the shelf as she turned around. This was the first strange encounter the family would face in the house. It's summer in Indiana now, and it's a warm and muggy night. Lisa woke up because she realized that her once warm room that she shared with her sister was now as cold as an icebox. Lisa got up from bed and realized that there was something on the wall of her and her sister's room. They ran their fingers down the substance on the wall and quickly realized that it was frost from where the room had gotten so cold. They went to wake up their mother so they could show her, but by the time they got back to the room, there was no sign of the frost. A few days later, Lana and Lisa are in the living room studying. Their younger brother Jake comes rolling into the living room with Lisa's skates on. She demanded James give them back to her, and as she was helping him get the skates off, an eerie and continuous moan began to fill the room, and the family stated that the house began to shake. The children decided to wait outside until their parents returned home. When they return, Roger goes inside and states that everything appears to be safe and in order. He attempted to explain this away to his children, but the fear was still on their minds. Later that night, Lana was trying to sleep, and she awoke due to a scratching noise that was coming from her window. Thinking that it was probably a bush, she walked over to the window and pulled back the curtains, but she was met with a pair of eyes looking back at her. She screamed, and Roger quickly entered the room, but whoever, or whatever, was staring at Lisa is now gone. Roger calls the cops, and they search the property, 
but the search came up empty-handed. Roger explains it away as a peeping Tom. Not long after the incident, the family headed to church for Lana and Lisa's baptism. But while they were gone, the demon that had been haunting them decided to make itself all the more known. When the family returned home, they found that the front door wouldn't budge, no matter how hard Roger pushed on it. Roger asked James to climb through one of the back windows and open the front door. James was able to slip through, and he found that his father's bookcase had been thrown in front of the door as if to try to barricade the family out of their home. When the family entered the home, they initially believed that someone had broken in and trashed the place, but they quickly realized that the only thing that was out of place was the bookcase. Lana then points out that her father's Bible commentary books had been stacked in a spiral formation on the floor. This strikes fear into Roger, but he attempts to move on as if nothing had happened. This is short-lived, and he decided to inform his family that this was a demon that had been harassing them, and that demons could sense and feed on their fear. The family was on a short budget, so they knew that their only option was to have the house blessed due to not being able to afford to move. Roger calls a priest right away to have the house blessed. As the priest was praying over the house, the family believed that this was saving them and ridding them from the demonic force. This would soon prove to be wishful thinking. James was at home alone and sick when he heard footsteps coming from the attic. He decided to grab a light and investigate the noise. While he was having a look around in the attic, a paint can was thrown at him. This causes James to panic and call his parents, who rush home right away. Roger walks into the house and up into the attic but he comes back empty-handed. Things are now beginning to escalate, and the family fears that calling the priest may have done more harm than good. A few mornings later, James came out of his room to make himself something to eat. When he entered the kitchen, he heard a loud thud. He called for his sisters to come into the kitchen, and they find that a pair of scissors had been thrown into the ceiling. Later that night, Roger was sitting at the kitchen table and reading his Bible. A thumping sound began to ring through the house, but Roger continued to read his Bible and ignore it. Before long, the ceiling above Roger collapses and lands on top of him. Roger was bloody and bruised, and the family believes that the demon was targeting Roger due to his faith. Armed with that faith, Roger decided to take action against the demon. He began to pray for protection against the forces that had attempted to kill him. After the prayer session, Lana goes to bed, 
but she was woken up in the early hours of the morning by a sound that sounded like her dad's knock. Lana gets out of bed to check her door, but there was no one there. She turns to go back to her bed, but the knocking occurred once again. Lana opens the door again, but there was still no one there. She then decided to leave her room and walk down the hallway to further investigate. While the rest of the family rests, the demon is playing with Lana. She turns around to go back into her room and attempt to go back to sleep, but she is once again awoken, but is now due to the sound of footsteps. As Lana lay there paralyzed, she could feel the demon slowly approach her. Out of nowhere, she was grabbed as if someone was trying to suffocate her. The attack abruptly ends after the loud sound of Lana's window shattering. Roger discovers that the family dog had been picked up and thrown through the window. The girls decided that it was time to leave the home, but they knew that the only way to not break their father's heart was to get married and move to start a family, and that's what they both decided to do. The house continued to take a toll on Roger's mental and physical health and they decide to move out of the possessed home. Four years after the family left the home, it was burned to the ground. Roger passed away in 2005. This next story takes place in Salt Lake City, Utah, 2006. Dave Murphy, a protective service officer was assigned to perform security work for the Capitol Theater. On his first night, he met Officer Morgan Matthews, who was in charge of training Dave for the next few nights until he became familiar with the building layout and the basic duties of the job. During Dave's first shift, Morgan was showing him how to lock everything down. Morgan took Dave down into the basement, which they referred to as the catacombs. They were walking through and making sure that each door was locked. A few nights after training started, Dave decided that he could take care of the building on his own. As Dave is in the west stairwell, he makes his way to the rehearsal room. As he was locking the room down, the bathroom door behind him slammed shut on its own. Dave automatically radios to Morgan, who makes his way down to where Dave is. As Dave is waiting for Morgan, he realizes that it would be almost impossible to slam the bathroom door due to the hydraulic hinge. After this realization, Dave removes his gun and gets prepared for whatever is behind that door. Dave swings the bathroom door open and begins to search for the intruder. Morgan follows in behind of him and the two begin to investigate the stalls, but no one could be found. The two men then decide to do a full sweep of the building to make sure that the intruder is not hiding in another room. 
They make their way up to the second floor, where Dave has already locked all the doors and turned off all the lights. When they make it to the floor, all the lights have been turned back on and several of the doors are now unlocked and open. The men didn't find anyone hiding in any other place of the building. On September 4th, Dave is showing up for his shift while workers are still in the building. He overhears a conversation between two of the workers that piques his interest. The workers are talking about weird experiences that they have had in the building. Dave introduced himself to the worker that was telling his story. The man is Blair Fuller, a senior accountant. Dave asked Blair if he could ask him a few questions, and Blair agrees. The men sit down, and Blair begins to share one of his more recent experiences. Blair had been working late one night when he heard the elevator turn on and move towards his floor. Blair believed that he was alone, so he was curious as to who could be on the elevator. The doors open and Blair goes to investigate. As he stands up, he hears the alarms to the elevator sounding. He approaches the elevator and he sees that there's nothing blocking the doors from shutting. He decides to make his way into the elevator. He stands there for a few moments and as he's getting ready to exit the elevator, the basement button lights up and the doors shut. He rides the elevator down and the doors open. Blair exits the elevator and begins to walk around to see if there's anyone down in the basement with him. He soon realizes that he's by himself and he decides to return to his desk. As he continues to work, Blair begins to hear banging noises and he decides to go to the source of the sound. He finds that in a few rooms down, there were file cabinets opening and slamming shut on their own. Blair tried to find a reason behind the encounter, but he's unable to explain what he had just witnessed. It's September now, and it's almost the end of Dave's training period. Dave and Morgan are doing a full sweep of the second floor of the theater. Dave confides with Morgan that he believes that there's something paranormal going on in the theater, and Morgan opens up, and the men begin to share stories. Dave then has an idea to bring a friend named Greg Giddens to the theater. He wanted to see if Greg would experience anything close to what himself and Morgan had experienced. Dave decides not to tell Greg anything about what had happened so far during his time working at the theater. The men walk into the dressing room under the stage. As they make their way down into the hallway, Morgan notices that a door is open. As the men approach the door, it slams shut. The officers draw their weapons and make their way towards the room and the doorknob begins to rattle. Dave and Morgan enter the room to find that no one is on the other side of the door. 
Greg then decides to leave the building. It's September 15th now, and the county decides to install new infrared security cams so the officers can see darker rooms clearer on the monitors in the security room. Morgan was sitting at his desk when he notices a figure sitting in one of the rows in the theater. He goes to take a look at the monitor when the figure shoots across the screen. Morgan makes the decision to quit working security at the theater. Dave is alone now, and he was doing his normal rounds when he finds that once again, a floor that he had previously locked down now has all the lights on and several of the doors are open. Dave turns off the lights, locks the doors, and returns to the security monitor room. As he's sitting at the desk, he begins to hear a piano playing. He makes his way to the east side stairwell of the theater, and he notices that the music is getting louder as he approaches the bottom of the stairs. As he continues his way down, the music stops, and no one is down there with him. This pushes Dave over the edge, and he ultimately decides to also end his assignment with the theater. The next and final story takes place in Mansfield, Connecticut. Amy Moore had just gone through a divorce and she wanted a fresh start with her daughter, Alyssa. While Amy and Alyssa are house hunting, they come upon a rundown fixer-upper, but Amy was determined to return the house to a former glory. Amy found a number for the property manager, and they were set to look at the house the very next day. During the walk around of the house, Amy requested to see the basement so she could take a look at the foundation. While they were down in the basement, Amy found a random stone structure in the middle of the floor. The rest of the house was in complete disarray but the third floor would be the worst due to parts of the ceiling hanging down, dead rodents, and lots of broken down furniture. Amy also stumbled upon an old sign in the house that said Mansfield Training School. She would inquire about the history of the house, but the property manager informed her that the paperwork on the house had been lost. But Amy had a vision for what she could do with his home, and she placed a bid. Soon, Amy would receive the call from the property manager, informing her that she had gotten the house. Alyssa didn't share the same excitement about the home as her mother did, but she went along with it since Amy had sunk all of her money into the home. Amy wanted to get started right away on fixing up the new house, so she would work on the house at night after she would leave work. One night during the renovations, Amy was up on a ladder ripping down wallpaper 
when she was thrown from the ladder and would immediately hear footsteps running to the house. She decided not to stick around and find the source of the incident, and she ran out of the home and left. She returned the next day to investigate and make sure that there wasn't anyone hiding in the home, but she wouldn't find any evidence of an intruder. Three months later, Amy and Alyssa would move into the house. Alyssa decides to explore the house that she had been so skeptical about. She found a door that would lead up to the third floor. The door was old, the paint was peeling, and it was latched shut. Alyssa opened the door and decided to make her way all the way up to the third floor. She then began to feel that she wasn't alone and she started to feel breathing going down her neck. This caused her to panic and run down the stairs, out the door, and she told her mom what had just happened to her. But Amy would dismiss it as the wind. A few weeks later, Amy and Alyssa were cooking dinner when they heard footsteps running through the house. The pair decided to investigate with Amy in front and Alyssa behind her. They slowly walked through the house, listening for more footsteps. When they reach the bottom of the stairs, Alyssa decides to go outside as Amy further investigates. Armed with a hammer, Amy made her way up the stairs and down the hall. She checked each room for the source of the running, but she would once again come up empty-handed. Alyssa wanted to move out, but Amy was adamant about continuing the renovations on the home. As Amy continued with her plans, the sounds and events would progressively get worse. Each day, Amy finds that the door leading up to the third floor would be open, so she decides to take a metal bar and wedge it into the latch, but as soon as she would walk away, the bar would fall out of the latch and the door would open once again. Amy still doesn't believe that the events could be caused by anything paranormal. The same night, Alyssa began to hear moaning coming from Amy's room. Alyssa decided to check on her mom and she began to knock on the door when she remembered that Amy had left the house and she was there all alone. Alyssa began to back away from her mother's door when she hears the sound of the door leading to the third floor unlatch and open. She immediately ran down the stairs and out of the house. Amy would return home to find Alyssa inconsolable. Alyssa finally has the chance to move out of the house and in with her current boyfriend and she decided to take the opportunity. Soon after, Amy would call a technician to have a new dishwasher installed. The technician made his way down to the basement to the main panel. The man took a few steps in when he felt a hand on his shoulder. He turned around to find that no one was behind him. He ran out of the basement and refused to finish the job. Shortly after this incident, Amy's friend, Dave McGann 
needed a place to stay due to a recent divorce, and Amy invited him to move in with her. Amy warned Dave about the incidents that had been occurring. He believed that Amy was just letting her imagination get the better of her. Dave was normally alone in the evening due to Amy being at work. He was laying in his room watching TV when he heard the floorboard creaking outside of his door. He looked down at the crack underneath the door and saw a shadow moving across the opening. Dave grabs his gun, opens the door, and begins to make his way down the hallway to investigate, but he wouldn't find anyone in the home with him. He decides to return to his room and gather the dirty dishes and take them downstairs. As he was making his way to the kitchen, he saw an apparition cross in front of him and then disappear. When Amy returns home, she decides to watch some TV in the living room. As she's relaxing, she hears the door behind her opening, followed by a vicious growl. She spun around to find that the door is now closed and she's in the living room alone. That same evening, as Dave was resting in his room, he heard a water bottle hit the floor. He picked it up and placed it in his trash can. As he turned around, the same bottle flew past his head and he began to hear the same growling that Amy had just witnessed. This occurrence would prove too much for Dave and he decided to move out of the house, but Amy's son, Bill, his fiance, Casey, and their son, Bubba, would take Dave's place in the home Casey would fall in love with the house right away. A few days into their stay in the new home, Casey was putting Bubba down for a nap. She made her way down to the kitchen to prepare lunch when she heard Twinkle Twinkle Little Star begin to play over the baby monitor. Casey knew that there weren't any toys in the crib and there wasn't anything in the baby's room that would play that song. She decided to write it off as interference, and she got back to making lunch. But then she heard a voice come over the baby monitor and yell her son's name, and Bubba began to cry. She rushed to the baby's room to console him. Casey decided to take matters into her own hands and she began to hang religious items around her son's crib. Soon, the family begins to have nightmares of a child dying in the home. Amy has reached her breaking point and knows that she needs to get out of her once-loved home. One night, Amy is at a pub when she runs into an old friend named Ted. He informed Amy that the Mansfield Training School was a mental institution, and everything began to become clear for Amy. Ted continues to fill Amy in on the rumors of patient abuse in the institution. This causes Amy to do some research of her own 
when she finds that in 1917, the institution was originally called the House of Imbeciles. She found numerous reports of abuse, including shock therapy that had been performed in their home during the days of the institution. Amy soon finds reports of a young child that had been murdered in the home, confirming the accuracy of the nightmares that had been occurring. Amy then decided to find out exactly what the concrete structure in the basement was. Bill removed the concrete slab that was on top of the structure, and they found cremated remains inside. The remains were sent to the state pathologist, and Amy, Bill, and Casey still reside in the Mansfield house. There are still occurrences happening in the home to this day. Alright guys, that will do it for this episode. If you like what you heard, please consider liking the video and subscribing to the channel. It helps us out a ton. We'll see you guys again in two weeks.